Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of A Light Unto My Path podcast. I'm your host, Howard Sides, and today we're going to continue our study through uh, the book of Revelation. We are uh, beginning in verse 9 of chapter 21 today, which is starting a new section of the chapter. Uh, chapter 21 is divided into two parts, the first part, of course, being one verses 1 through 8. Uh, where we see John's vision of the New Jerusalem. And today when we start with verse 9, all the way through the end of the chapter, which is verse 27, uh, it talks about John's visit to the New Jerusalem. Uh, now, it as we get into this, we're going to kind of uh, categorize things versus just verse by verse. So we may jump around a little bit, uh, but but... It, it's to keep the thought process going in the right direction is the only reason I say that. So uh, the, the first uh, section that we're going to talk about is John describes what he sees. He gives us a description of everything that he sees. And then the second section is going to be uh, John describes what he does not see. And basically uh, the first section, what he does see is described in verses 9 down through 21. And then in verse 26, and then where he describes what he does not see is like from verse 22 uh, down through 25 and then in verse 27. Uh, that, that's kind of how it jumps around. But uh, we'll we'll try and go through it in an organized way. I, I don't like jumping around like that, but it's just how it comes out um, to describe what we're talking about. Okay. All right. Now, uh, <clears throat> we'll read uh, a couple of the verses today. Uh, we usually don't get through one verse, but on the case that we do kind of roll through some of this, I like to describe it and, and cover the reading at least. So let's uh, let's start in chapter 21, book of Revelation 21, and start with verse 9 uh, until we get to a good place to stop. How's that? Uh, maybe verse 11 or so. Okay, verse 9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Okay, so here we see John is uh, starting to describe uh, some things that he is seeing here. And, of course, the whole book of Revelation is one large vision. Um, and let's keep in mind now, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of John. It's revealed to John, but it's not his revelation. Uh, but again, uh, we'll try and keep this uh, organized the best we can. The first thing I want you to point out here in what John describes what he sees, uh, he's describing uh, it's showing, it's showing and that will be seen in verse 9 <clears throat> down through uh, the first section, the first portion of verse 10. It's showing. All right, uh, the first phrase here. Uh, and there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues. So here again we see seven, seven, and seven. <laughs> okay, and John is describing for us that this angel, uh, is one of the ones that has the seven bowls, which refers back to that 
uh, seventh bowl itself, which destroyed Babylon. Uh, he's And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues. Uh, and uh, some of the commentaries I read say that, that they think that this angel he's referring to is the last one. It is the seventh one. And, it, and it's the connection to uh, Babylon. And, and the argument for that is because it is the anti to what John is getting ready to describe. It does fit. Uh, we're not clear. We're clearly not told exactly, so we can't emphatically say without a doubt it is. Uh, other than the fact that it just it just fits, but you know, like I said, you can't you can't you know <laughs> put that down as fact. Okay, uh, but the, yeah, where it's referring to the seventh bowl, which destroys Babylon, uh, is back in chapter sixteen, verses seventeen through nineteen. And it says there, uh, and the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. So here we see that this destruction of Babylon made everything ready for the marriage of the Lamb, uh, which is covered in uh, chapter 19. Yeah, the marriage of the Lamb is chapter 19. Uh, the, now this angel is a fitting messenger to explain the judgment of the false wife and then the glories of the true wife, obviously, uh, as it fits there. Okay, now the sec, uh, next part of verse 9 here says, And talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride. Now, bride here is the Greek word nymphe, N-U-M-P-H-E. Nymphe or nymphe is the phonics of it. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to say nymphe. And now this, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> this word is derived from the verb nupto. Nupto means to veil as a bride, and it compares with the Latin word nupto, which means to marry, uh, meaning a young woman uh, or a young married woman as in veiled, including a betrothed girl. Uh, girl. And uh, th this is where uh, we get our uh, common word today, uh, or our English word, uh, nuptials. Uh, Adding notes as we're going. It's where we uh, get our English word nuptials from. It comes from this word nymphe and nupto and the Latin word nupto. Uh, so it's an exact copy of that verb word. Uh, but the word bride here is used of the holy city, the New Jerusalem, uh, coming down out of heaven. Okay? Uh, and he uses this phrase here, come hither, I will show thee. Now this is the second time this phrase has been used by one of these angels. Uh, the first being back in chapter 17, verse 1. It says, And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. So this angel offers John the opportunity to view the contrast between the mother of harlots in Revelation 17 and the bride of Christ. Now, in Revelation 17, Babylon is likened to a woman, and in chapter 18, a city. So, too, the true bride is a woman, 
And in chapter 21 here, it is described as a city. Now, the harlot is seen from the vantage point of the wilderness in chapter 17, verse 5. For the false religion has this world as her home. But the true church is seen from a mountain, for her home is on high. In chapter 21, verse 10, which is the next verse where we'll talk about this mountain, uh, talk about being on high. Now, Babylon the whore is earthly and devilish, while the church descends as a holy city out of heaven from God. Again, in the next verse, verse 10. Satan decks the one in uh, the the harlot in gorgeous, glaring colors, but God clothes the bride in fine linen, pure and white. Also, the cup of the whore is full of abominations and filthiness in chapter 17, verse 4. The cup of the true believer flow, overflows with love and praise in Psalms 23, verse 5, where it says, My cup runneth over. Uh, uh, and, and it runs over as she remembers the purchase price for redemption which is in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 16. It says, The cup of blessing which we uh, bless, is not is it not the communion of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And then again in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and verse 25, it mentions there, After the same manner also he took the cup which he had supped, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Again, the whore is decked out with gold, pearls, jewels, and etc. And this, these are the rewards for her whoredom. And that's discussed in chapter 17, verse 4 and verse 18. Whereas here, the bride is adorned in like manner uh, in chapter 2, uh, verse 2, and then in verses 18 through 21, where it describes these are gifts from her beloved bridegroom. Gifts from her beloved bridegroom. Now of the harlot, it is said in verse 7, of chapter 18, I sit a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. Yet she has no throne or bridegroom and shall be overthrown and will be tormented. The true bride boasts only in her Lord, yet she has a throne in chapter 3, verse 21, and a husband, uh, chapter 21, verse 2, and no sorrow, chapter 21 and verse 4. Uh, the whore is called a mystery, Babylon the Great, chapter 17, verse 5. The church is also a mystery. The former is the strange outworking of iniquity. The latter, the blessed fruit of godliness. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 talks about that. It says, and without, great, uh, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Again, also the harlot is drunken with the blood of the saints, chapter 17, verse 6. The bride is redeemed with the blood of the Lamb. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Babylon's sins have reached up to heaven, chapter 18, verse 5. The sins of the redeemed have been cast into the depths of the sea. Micah chapter 7 and verse 19. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. God also has remembered the iniquities of the whore, in chapter 18, verse 5. But of the redeemed it is declared their sins and their iniquities 
will I remember no more. That's Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12. The earthly city is full of sin, and the call is to come out of her in chapter 18, verse 4, where the heavenly city is pure and holy, and his call is to come in. That is chapter 22 and verse 17 uh, when we get to that point. Uh, the false woman reigns now, chapter 17, verse 18, but shall be deposed. The true church is rejected now, but shall be enthroned with him, chapter 22, verse 5. There shall be wailing on earth over the doom of the harlot, chapter 18, verse 19. And there shall be joy in heaven over the bliss of the bride, chapter 19, verse 7. Earthly kings shall hate the whore and strip her naked, chapter 17, verse 16. The heavenly king loves his bride and shall clothe her in garments of glory and beauty. Um, that's chapter, I didn't write that one down, chapter uh, 19 and verse 14. I think that's only one reference. I think there's another reference to that. Uh, but it says, and the armies which are in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And I'm thinking there's another reference to that. Uh, and I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it is somewhere. Uh, anyway, uh, continuing the comparison. Because there's quite a few of them here, but uh, we've only got just a couple more. And then we'll move on. Uh, on earth, the nations of the earth shall destroy and be destroyed. Uh, chapter 17, verse 16, and then chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. In heaven, the saved nations of the earth shall bring their glory to the city. Chapter 21 and verse 24. On earth, the woman sits on the beast and rides him. Chapter 17, verse 3. In heaven, the bride sits by the side of the lamb. Chapter 3 and verse 21. To the whore shall come in one day death and mourning and famine. Chapter 18, verse 8. To the true bride in one day shall come life, joy, and feasting. Chapter 19, verses 7 through 9. Uh, finally, Babylon is cast down. Chapter 18, verse 21. And the bride is lifted up to the highest pinnacle of honor and glory. Okay, so there's your comparisons there uh, that it's talking about in chapter 9. Uh, let's see. The final phrase in chapter 9. The lamb's wife. The lamb's wife. Again, wife here is the Greek word guni, gune, G-U-N-E, uh, G-U-N-E, which simply means a woman, but more specifically a wife. Now, the word wife is used to describe the wife of the lamb at or after uh, his marriage. Now, some try to claim that the use of wife here refers to Israel instead of the church. But they are overlooking what we just discussed in that the marriage of the bridegroom and the New Testament church has already taken place back in chapter 19. Therefore, the bride, the New Testament church, is now the wife of the Lamb of God. Now, this is the first of seven references to the Lamb in this section. All in chapter 21, you're looking uh, at verse 9. Uh, no, not all in chapter 21. Yeah, uh, this is a typo. Uh, in chapter 21, uh, it is in verses 9, verse 14, verse 22, verse 23, and then verse 27. 
and then in chapter 22 in uh, verses 1 and verse 3. So there's your seven references. Again, if, if, if you need to copy that down, chapter 21, you got verse 9, 14, 22, 23, 27, and then in chapter 22, it's verse 1 and verse 3. All right, and then he becomes uh, increasingly, increasingly prominent as the book draws to a close. Uh, and it is. Uh, when you think about it, uh, this whole book is pointing to the Lamb, the Lamb, the Lamb. And, and I'm, I'm not going to get off on the subject of why I think when he returns, uh, I think he's still going to have the marks in his hands. There's not going to be scars. There's going to be prints. Uh, the holes will still be in his hands. There's not going to be any scars. That's how they're going to know who he is. Uh, that, that's, that's the way I think of it. Anyway. Okay, uh, final section here is in the beginning of verse 10. It says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. Now, in contrast to chapter 17, where John was taken to the wilderness, which represents the curse that rests upon creation because of man's sin, back in Genesis 3, 18, here he is taken to a mountain. And in ascending a high mountain, a man travels as far as his feet can carry him towards heaven and away from the defilements of the earth. The higher you get on a mountain, the closer you are to heaven. The further away from earth you become. And John is brought to this mountain for a close-up and a broader view of the city. Now, the city must not be conceived as own or covering this same mountain, but as seen descending to a spot or a space close by it. It's, it's not mentioned as sitting on this mountain. Um, I think even one commentary said it looked kind of silly if God took John up on the mountain and then crushed him by placing the city on top of his head. Right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> that does make a little sense when you think of it that way. Uh, but Ezekiel chapter 40 and verse 2, it says, In the visions of God brought he me into the land of Israel and set me upon a very high mountain by which was as the frame of a city on the south. And now that's almost giving you a direction from where he is standing to where he sees this happening. Uh, one thing to note about this mountain, in all other mountains that we have known, uh, they will be destroyed by this time. If you remember as we went through these, uh, the, the, the seven trumpets, the seven seals, the plagues and all that, it's talking about all the mountains are flattened. Uh, all the low places are brought high. It, it's it's almost as if the entire surface of the earth is leveled out. But again, remember, we're talking about a new, an entirely new mountain an, on an entirely new earth. So this could be uh, an entirely uh, new mountain that could be bigger and taller than anything ever before it. I mean, this could make Mount Everest look like uh, an anthill. We don't, we don't know. All it says is that it's a mountain. Okay, okay. so that's the first point. Now, the second point uh, we'll notice uh, in what John sees is its site, its site or its place where it is. And this is in the rest of verse uh, uh, 10. Yeah, rest of verse 10. Okay, so the next phrase here in verse 10, it says, And showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, and showed me that great city, 
the Holy Jerusalem. Now, from the mountaintop, John had the best view of this entirely brand new city. Now, it's like walking through a new home for the first time and noticing all the features. Uh, most times when you enter a home after a certain amount of time, uh, you don't pay attention to anything. But when you go through the first time, you notice everything. It's new. Uh, it just stands out. Now, notice what John, James Knox in his commentary, he says about uh, cities, cities in general. And I quote, uh, who has even beheld a city that was holy in character? Cities began under the leadership of the first murderer. Cain did not build his city under the direction of God, but had gone out from the presence of the Lord and in such a condition, builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch, Genesis 4, 17. Ever since that day, the continuous drift has been toward city life and man, estranged from God, has been building after the manner of Cain. Psalms 49, 11 through 13 says, their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man being in honor abideth not. He is like the beasts that perish. This their way is their folly. Yet their posterity approve their sayings. In like manner, one city has displaced another upon the face of the earth. And as a rule, each one has developed into a reeking sewer or corruption uh, and vice, a reeking sewer of corruption and vice. Might be a typo. <laughs> In each city, municipal reform has been desperately needed, has been variously attempted, and has been a hopeless and miserable failure. From Babel to Babylon, the city has been the center of Satan's activity and the illustration of man's effort to live independent of God. The natural tendency of men to gather in a city is not itself evil. In the city is demonstrated the value of cooperation and association. More and more, the city's attraction for the natural heart has made a constant drain upon the rural regions. In the steady growth of cities, there has also been found the fullest development if evil and opposition to God, of evil. The city, instead of becoming increasingly holy, becomes worse and worse until finally becoming the dwelling place of devils and all manner of unclean spirits, end quote. And I got to tell you, uh, that's ringing loud and clear with me. That's very true. You look at the cities and you look at how the people act in these cities. And then you look at the people living in the country in rural areas. Uh, it, it, it's like there's two different attitudes, two different behaviors. It really is. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing, uh, the difference there. All right. Um, I've got to see if I can find... All right, let's see if we can get through this next section here uh, pretty quick. So, what is so important about this city called the Holy Jerusalem? What's so important about it? Okay, well, first of all, let's note the history. 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verses 4 and 5, and then 7 and 9 gives a little history of it. And David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, which is Jebus, where the Jebusites were, the inhabitants of the land. And the inhabitants of Jebus said to David, Thou shalt not come hither. Nevertheless, David took the castle of Zion, which is the city of David. And David said, 
Whosoever smiteth the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. So Joab, the son of Zeruiah, went first up and was chief. And David dwelt in the castle, therefore they called it the city of David. And he built the city round about, even from Milo round about, and Joab repaired the rest of the city. So David waxed greater and greater, for the Lord of hosts was with him. Okay, so uh, this city was forever attached and associated with David by name. Uh, that's the history. Uh, now let's look at the healing. The healing. Now, while this city is forever linked to God's people, it too must go through a cleansing process. Now, there are what are considered five mountain peaks of Jerusalem's cleansing. Uh, the starvation, the surrounding, the sacrilege, the suspension, and the sanctification. Uh, I'm going to try and read through these. Um, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to have time to read them. I don't. Okay, you listen fast, I'll read fast. How about that? Okay, the starvation. Ezekiel chapter 7, verses 2 through 4. Also thou son of man, thus saith the Lord God unto the land of Israel, an end, the end is come upon the four corners of the land. Now is the end come upon thee, and I will send mine anger upon thee, and will judge thee according to thy ways, and will recompense upon thee all thine abominations. And mine eyes shall not spare thee, neither will I have pity. But I will recompense thy ways upon thee, and thine abomination shall be in the midst of thee, and you shall know that I am the Lord. This is the starvation. This was fulfilled in 586 B.C. when Babylon took Jerusalem. That was the starvation. Then there's the surrounding, Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44. Um, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm sorry, I'm just not going to be able to read all this. Uh, but this was fulfilled in 70 A.D. when Rome destroyed Jerusalem. Luke 19, 41 through 44, the surrounding. Third, you see the sacrilege. Uh, this is covered in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, the sacrilege. And of course, this was, uh, this will be fulfilled uh, with the arrival of the Antichrist. Uh, fourth is the suspension. Suspension, Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. And this is fulfilled at the end of the tribulation period. And then, of course, there's the sanctification. Isaiah 66, verse 22, it says, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. And this will be fulfilled with the creation of the new Jerusalem. Okay? So that's describing the healing part. All right. So we're talking about what's so important about this city. We've talked about the history. And we've talked about the healing. The third and the final point is the holiness. The holiness. Verse 11, when you go down there uh, and start reading it, the very first phrase in that verse says, having the glory of God. And it's describing this new city. It's having the glory of God. So cities like to be tagged as being famous for something uh, or associated with an event or a famous person. This draws in tourists. I mean, it, it's an interest. That's why people go there. But no city will ever be able to say they have the glory of God. <laughs> None of them. Now, when we think about this city, uh, know what Joseph Asai says about how people tend to view it. He said, and I quote, uh, One of the most remarkable paradoxes of the church of our times is its abhorrence 
of materiality in connection with the kingdom of Christ and the eternal future, whilst practically up to our, its ears in materialism and earthliness. No wonder that professed believers of our day are anxious to put off getting into the heaven they believe in as long as the doctor's skill can keep them out of it, and finally agree to go only as a last despairing resort. It has no substance, no reality, for the soul to take hold on. It is nothing but a world of shadows, of mist, of dim visions of blessedness, with which it is impossible for a being who is not mere spirit, and never will be mere spirit, who knows only to live in a body and shall live forever in a body, to feel any fellowship or sympathy. Among the highest promises to the saints of all ages was the promise of a special place and economy answering to a heavenly city, and which is continually referred to as an enduring and God-built city. Okay, I'm going to stop here, and we're going to finish up the next point, uh, descending out of heaven, because we're swiftly running out of time. I've got like one minute left. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, well, I hope you've enjoyed that. Uh, and um, I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, maybe sometime I can tell you what happened to me. Uh, <laughs> what is uh, the Thanksgiving was great. Okay. Uh, but I had some health issues after that. I, I'll cover it in the next episode for those of you that don't know. So uh, at least you're um, staying in contact of, or, or in the know of what's happening. Okay. And we'll talk about that a little bit in the next podcast. All right. Thank you for listening. Uh, please continue to pray for me. I, I please really need it now. Uh, I have some special prayer requests and things of that nature. Uh, but pray for each other. Pray for your local church and your pastor. And I hope you have a great day. God bless you. And thank you for listening.